the overcoming life through Christ. Will you turn to John's Gospel, chapter 16? John's Gospel, chapter 16. And I just sat all day until 5.30 or so, just, just writing. We're just going to lift out the very last verse, verse 33 of John 16. The Lord Jesus is the speaker. He says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let us pray again. Father, take your word, your own inspired divine word. Let your anointing spirit come and place it within our very hearts and glorify the Lord Jesus. For his name's sake we pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus says, Notice these things have I spoken unto you. What things? What things, Lord? Well, in this chapter alone, he tells us at the very start, he's speaking to his disciples, those who love him, speaking to you and I this evening. And notice what he says. Verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you. So we could go back again even further, but let's stay in chapter 16. That you should not be offended. They shall put you out of synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Now, the Lord's telling the disciples here, there's going to be people who are going to persecute you even unto death. And yet he's saying that in me you'll have peace. Now, can you imagine them sitting around knowing he's speaking all of this and then he starts to go on down and he says, I'm going away. Look what he says. Verse 5, But I go, but now I go to, my, to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me whither goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Now the Lord's saying, I'm going to go away. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be cast out of synagogues. Nobody's going to want you. In fact, others are going to kill you. And can you imagine that these disciples are starting to panic? Lord, hold on a wee minute. You can't go. You can't leave us. It doesn't make sense. And then he goes on down to tell us of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit coming, nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So here he's saying, I'm going away, but it's going to be expedient for you, or it's going to be better for you if I go away. But the thing is now, the Spirit, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, he'll come. But when he comes, you're not going to walk by sight, but by faith. And you're going to have to trust more. There's certain things in our lives where the Lord says, you, you're, you're looking for things instead of trusting me. And we're going, but Lord, you're, we can't see you. He says, but it's not about seeing me. It's about trusting me. And of course, the Holy Spirit has come and he lives in us. And if you let your eye run down, because this is just a run into where our study is tonight, he tells us that in verse 13, how be it, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show unto you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Now he says, but it's, I'm going to be with you, but it's in the spirit. And everything that I am, the Spirit is. And everything the Spirit is, is in me. So you're going to have me, but it's going to be in you all. He's going to be through you all. And all that I have will give to him. Now notice this when we go on down again. If you let your eye run down, he's talking about going away. Let your eye run down to verse 20. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament but the world shall rejoice. 
Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Why? Because Jesus is out of sight, out of mind. He's dead, he's buried to them. But you shall rejoice. But you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. He's saying there's going to be a time of testing, a time of trial. Things are going to be laid heavy on you. And it's not by what you see, but it's by the truth of the word. It's going to be through me, through my spirit living in you. And so Jesus says that you're going to go through things. There'll be a period of time or for a season. And it seems like everybody's getting on all right and you're not. But suddenly breakthrough comes, he says, and you're going to rejoice. So when I was reading this today, I thought, Lord, you're, you're, you're just wonderful. You're, you're fantastic. And then he goes on to tell them in verse 21, a woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Isn't it wonderful that that even in the periods of time we go through, Christ always comes through. And again, we see him with the eye of faith. Again, we see the hope of glory in him. But there's going to be a time when faith will again give way to sight. And we're going to behold him. And he says, you're going to really rejoice. And you're going to be like that for eternity. Now notice this. He says, let your eye run down. On down the chapter to verse 29. His disciples said unto him, Lo, speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own. And shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone. Because the Father is with me. Now notice this. When I read that it jumped out at me. It's as if I'd read it a million times. But it jumped out at me. Not only do the disciples. Scatter and leave the Lord in Gethsemane. And Peter denies him later. And Judas had betrayed him before Gethsemane. Not only had all that happened. But Jesus says I am not alone. He's wanting us now, by the time he goes into the last verse, which was our opening scripture, to realize, because he is in us, he wants you to understand, no matter who's betraying, denying, against, no matter what comes your way, what worry or sickness or sadness, he says, I am with you. You are not alone. And the idea of it is, he's saying, look, you may feel alone, but I am with you. In the spirit. In fact he's saying I'm living in you. So everywhere you and I place our feet. Claim victory. Because we're going to look at that. Claim victory for the Lord Jesus. Let's read verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you. That ye that in me. Notice that in me. You might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So what he's saying is you and me. I have overcome And as long as you live and remember this and walk in this, you will learn to overcome too. It's already done for us, but we will learn that too. So what I want to look at is three quick points. Well, maybe not quick, but three points. The first one is tribulation. What does he mean by tribulation? He says, in the world ye shall have tribulation. The word tribulation is the word philipsis. Thelipsis. And it means you'll have anguish, affliction, burdens, or it will be burdensome. You will be oppressed, or you can be distressed. It gives the idea of oppressing pressure continually. Oppressing pressure continually. So let's look at this word first of all. Mark chapter 4, as we continue our study on it. Mark chapter 4. And we'll come back to John later. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. This is a well-known portion of Scripture. And 
it's important to gather here what the Lord is saying. Verse 1, And he, the Lord Jesus, began again to teach by the seaside, and they were gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship. And he sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land, and he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine or in his teaching, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came up and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now he's asked by his disciples what it means. Let's go down to verse 14. The sower soweth the word. So the seed is the word of God here. Verse 15, And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown into their hearts. Notice the word Satan. It's a personification, capital S, of the word diabolos. Diabolos. It's where we get our word diabolical from. Diabolos. The diabolical one comes and takes away the seed of the word. Now, sometimes we tend to think that Satan, we we know that Satan is a spirit. We don't deny that. We know Satan's a spirit. But every time in the scripture when Satan comes, it doesn't necessarily mean he just comes in spirit. He could come in the form of the Pharisees, Sadducees. Many people believe the temptation of Christ in the wilderness was not just spiritual temptation, but it was them coming to goad him to cause him. That's why he was able to go into the temple, as it were, and to take him up to the temple, jump off, and so on. It was the spirit of Satan working in these men. So it doesn't always mean to say it's just the spirit. It's the spirit of Satan in men or women. Now, notice this. Satan, or diabolus, cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. There's those then that receive the word. They're doing great. And have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction, notice the word, affliction. It's the same word for tribulation of John 16 and 33. It's the word thelipsis, sorry, pardon me, thelipsis. When affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake. Immediately they are offended. And the idea here for offended is they look for offense in others. And then he says, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the curse of the world, and deceitfulness of riches, and the loss of other things, entering in, choke the word, and becometh unfruitful. Here are people with the things of the word, and it starts to choke them. This is important. The things of the world, whether it's money or riches or or jobs or whatever it is, busyness, starts to choke the word in us when we start to, I can't cope anymore. I want to go on with God, but I can't because of to do this and to do that. Do the other thing. They start choking the word out. Starting to lose breath. Start to die. And the loss of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground such as hear the word and receive it, that is, right into the heart, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some an hundred. So the Lord's saying here, affliction comes and can kill a convert, or those who have professed the name of Christ. So then if you go with me to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. 
As I said, this dropped into me this morning. I was going to write it and I thought I'd do it another time. And then my, all my plans were changed, so I sat all day just writing. And as I was writing this, I realized when I finished, I said, Lord, you've given this to me just to encourage me and to challenge me. So that's why I want to give it to you. First Thessalonians chapter 3. And let's begin to read it, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother, the minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Notice the term here, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed, notice, thereunto. Ah, we are appointed there unto, Paul says. Unto, there's certain afflictions that are necessary to teach us the lesson. Now, when we're looking at this, the word moved in verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. The word moved is, it can also be, or no man can be disturbed. It means you're disturbed while they're in there without your, you don't know why you're coming or going. And it gives the idea in the original Greek of a dog wagging its tail, fawning on someone. Now, if you know what fawning means, let me give you the, 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 the meaning of it. F-A-W-N-I-N-G it is. So it means to try and win favor by flattering someone. Sucking up or buttering up, as we would say, to try and win favor. Fawning an admirer who doesn't, is from an admirer who doesn't stop flattering someone. So the dog comes wagging the tail, and in the Greek text it gives the idea the dog comes, wags its tail, and the wee dog's all friendly around your legs and all, and it's jumping up on you, wanting to kiss you, wee licking, all that sort of stuff, and it's trying to get something from you. It wants maybe food, or wants walked, or wants whatever. And so the Greeks use that to say, there are things in life when you're in affliction that look better. And so you either either to call you, draw you, or you run to it. And it's just buttering you up. There's no truth in it. That's the idea of it. And so when we get to this, he says that no man should be moved or disturbed. Listen to this. Here's some of the Greek writers. I looked these up today. And the Greek uh, commentators on this. And the commentator Titman says, he explains it like this, that no man should amidst his calamities be allured by the flattering hope of a more pleasant life and to abandon his duty. It always looks easier to run from God, to go to the Word. It always seems more pleasant to stay at home, to not serve God, to not strive out in God, and everyone around us maybe doing different things. And maybe they think that you're, you know, oh, we'll see this person or that person. You, you, you know, you're, you're, you're working so hard for God. You know, you, you don't need to work as hard. You see, you're not working for salvation. You're working because you love him. You're faithful because you love him. Not out of, it's not out of uh, that the Lord's driving us to that. But he loves us in it. And we love him back. But the world in our calamities, let's be honest, in our, in our calamities, in our tribulations, in our anguish, in our affliction, in our burden sometimes, and when we feel oppression uh, and we feel pressed on every side, the easy thing to do is to stay away from the things of God and step out of them. That's the easy thing. Rather do the opposite. Because that's what diabolos Remember him? That's what he wants you to do. Step out of God. Step out of God's will. Step out of God's work. Step away from God and the things of God. Step out of God's house. And that's what he wants. And so here Paul is saying that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Don't let affliction drive you away from God, but rather let affliction drive you to God. Let it drive it into him. Once you are driven away from him, then you'll find it gets worse. 
But when you run into him, he will bring you through and protect you. Listen to Elsner and Bengal in their Greek study on this. He says, in case one is cajoled out of faith, that's what he means. So Paul says, no man should be moved by these afflictions. Don't let the affliction cajole you out of your faith. Don't let these afflictions stop you, hinder you, put you down, push you away, hold you back and keep you. He says, run not away from Christ, but run into Christ. So here, it says in the BLB, listen, in afflictions, relatives and opponents combine with ease. Pardon me, combined with the ease-loving heart, it's self and flatteries which need strong faith to overcome. What they're saying is this. The affliction moves one to the point where they don't know whether they're going that way or that way, and they're hearing it, and they're seeing it, and they don't know whether... It could be any affliction. It could be from people. It could be from work. It could be from... It could be anywhere. It could be a sickness, it could be a fear. And the affliction comes and it comes. It could be persecution on the left hand and on the right. And we don't know where to go. So the easiest thing to do is to start to retract, to wither up and to run away. And Paul's saying, don't let that happen. He says, run into Christ. That's the key. See when the rubber hits the road? See when things get tough? No matter what it is, even in your ministry in the church, whether you sing or play or you're at the back or at the door, I mean, the first face somebody sees are these two men at the door. And if they're not welcoming, they're, that, that's a ministry. They, 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 they are welcoming people in. The next one they'll see is maybe is when they're sitting beside someone here. Could be you. The next voice they hear could be the one that lifts them and picks them up just by a simple conversation. But it can also happen in reverse. And when they're coming expecting and you drag them down because you've had a bad day or a bad week. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Now, some people find that hard to marry here, that God would allow these afflictions. He's not only allowed them, he's appointed them. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you if you really love me. Now, God knows that, but you don't know that. But God gives us in earthly terms that we will understand what he's saying. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. He knows how far we'll go. We think we know how far we'll go. Peter says, Lord, I'll go with you to prison unto death. And with that night, he tolerated the night him three times. That's what the Lord's saying here. Look. See the things which I have appointed. I'm doing it for your good your benefit but you need to trust me in it because you're going to be victorious an overcomer when you learn that you're in me see the next time some similar this comes along it won't even fizz you look there's some things that whenever years ago especially in ministry used to really really get to me and hurt me and near cause me to have a nervous breakdown see now it's like bulletproof it's like what did I feel something there You know why? Do I like it? No. But I've got so used to it. And God has done something within me to be able to cope in it. And whether it's working with young people or youth, children, Sunday school, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whether you're organizing the cleaning team and people letting you down or saying, I can't make it, and they're meant to be turning up, and you feel like throwing a bucket of water over them next time you see, you know, and your, your, your mind's going, and the youth are you know, driving you mad. No matter what it is, you'll always be tested and tried. But you know what the Lord says? You're going to have this. 
Don't be surprised. But I've already overcome it. You need to learn who you are in me. Already, he says, you're victorious. You just don't live it. You just don't understand it. So, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And you know, <clears throat> excuse me, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that ye have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see see you. Therefore, brethren, when we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith for now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. Do you know what Paul's saying here? We have been getting it tight. Anguish and affliction has been burdensome, it's been hard, and has been coming all over from outside and from within, left and right. We don't know at times what way to turn. He said, But see, Timotheus or Timothy came. At one point, see, Paul's looking for Timothy. Where is he? You know, there's no mobiles and they don't wonder where he is, what part of the country he's in, or what country he's in. But suddenly he turns up and he starts talking about the faith of the churches. And the wonderful thing about it is, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here we see something similar again. Verse 1 Corinthians 7, and just let your eye... Sorry, pardon me, 2 Corinthians 7. I said first, pardon me, it was first, that's not even the top of it. 2 Corinthians 7. And let your eye run down to verse 5. Verse 5. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Do you know what Paul's saying here? We... We had troubles in ourselves, in our minds. We're troubled. Our hearts were troubled. Our body was troubled. It was so, you know, sometimes your spirit is so sick that your, your, your flesh gets sick. Without all around us, he says, people were at us all the time. There was trouble everywhere. Without were fightings. But within were fears. It really started to cause us concern. But notice what he says then as he goes on. Nevertheless, I love that word there because it means that that doesn't really matter at the minute. Nevertheless, God. Now there's there's the key word for us. Nevertheless, God. That's what you should be saying. Matter what's facing you. Ah, well this and that and the other thing. Nevertheless, God. Nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. And he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. Paul is saying here now, not only Timotheus or Timothy, but here is Titus. He says it was just, it was coming at us from every angle. And he says, but we were comforted. You know why? Because even though there's so much going on, there's so much negativity, there's so much hardship, there's so many things against us, we felt so ill with it, so weak with it, we just couldn't cope with it in our minds, our hearts, or even our flesh, our bodies were sick. He says, listen, even though the devil, Diabolus, was trying his hardest, guess what? This man comes with good news, a positive report, And he starts speaking blessing. He says, you want to see what God's doing? God is still moving in the midst of it all, he says. And Paul says, that has really encouraged me. And you see, brothers and sisters, let our comfort and strength be in the good report, not the negative. Let our our comfort be that while the devil is busy, 
while things may seem they're waning in your life, and while hearts are failing God, God is still moving, God is still blessing, and God is still on the throne. That's what we must remember, because we forget those things. So there's times that we think, well, Lord, well, what about this, and what about that? And listen, in 1 Samuel 18, verses 10 and 11, we can, if you read it down, you can read it when you go home. David's playing on his harp. He's worshipping Yahweh. And old Saul, full of bitterness and anger and jealousy, has a spear in his hand. Now David's playing, trying to minister for Saul. He's ministering to the Lord, but he's saying, I'm trying to help Saul. I'm doing my best to help him. And he's saying, yep, I'm just weighing this javelin up, Saul says, and I'm going to spear him to that wall. You'll get a meeting where, look, Sunday morning, God was blessing here, touching people, helping people, healing people. God was moving. And you know what happened? Others just looking at the ceiling. Their hearts were going like this, just didn't want to be here. Oh, what time's it over at or whatever, I don't know. And you're going to get that in every single meeting. Listen, so it doesn't matter if you're like Paul and Corinth here uh, and whatever's happening, look for what God is doing and draw the strength from say, Lord, you're still in control. You're still blessing, Lord. You're still in charge. The negative report brings death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit of it. Someone who's always speaking negative, you know what's happened? Their life becomes negative. They eat the fruit of it. Someone who's always speaking bitterness, you know what happens? They start eating the bitterness fruit. Someone who's always saying, you know what? I'm looking for the good. I'm looking for where God is in this. I'm looking for the love in it. I'm looking for the help in it. I'm looking for the health of it. I'm looking how I can contribute to it. The Lord starts to bless them in it. So every time we come to a meeting, look for it. Expect it. Say, Lord, I'm just waiting for your blessing and I'm here for it. So, if you'll turn back with me to John 16. John 16. Now, verse 21. We read it earlier. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Now, ladies, I'm not going to insult you to pretend I know what that's like. I wouldn't dare. I've told like a kidney stone's like near as bad for a man. I don't know. Is that right, Lloyd? <laughs> Lloyd, you're, you're, set, you're afraid now. Look, you're, he's starting to hide. Don't be asking me. But you, you mothers know what that's been like. I have been in the room and it just traumatized me enough without going through it. Literally, that's, I just, oh. So you, you, you ladies are stronger in many, many ways than the men. I don't think there'd be any children if it was up to us men. But the Lord says, all that pain you go through when that wee baby's put in your arms, you forget about it because the love you have for that child. And it never dies. Sure it doesn't, it never goes away. You're a wee child, no matter how big they are. No matter how old they are. Just love them. You always will. And the Lord's saying there's been an anguish, but there's been a blessing after it. That's the idea of it. He's saying, look, see in the world you're going to come through things. And it'll be like giving birth, as it were, at times with pain. He says, but see after it, there'll be something else born in you. There'll be a blessing in it. To run away from the Lord and to stop going on with him and give up following him. He says, that's not where the victory is. He says, I've already won. You need to grasp it. And walk in what he has accomplished. And what he has done for us. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. Second Corinthians chapter one verse four. Tell you what, let's read verse three. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, 
and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves were comforted of God. Now, the word here, tribulation and trouble, are the same in the original text. And you know what they mean? To be pressed like a grape is pressed. It means to be pushed into a narrow place. No, narrow is the way the Lord says. Few there be that find it. It means to throng, like Jesus was thronged with the crowds. And he says, there's troubles come to us like that where it's one thing, not only after another, but all come at the same time. Do you ever get like that? I do. And you don't know which one to try and bat off first. And then all of a sudden, some beats you up the back of the head because you haven't seen it coming. But Jesus said, look, or pardon me, Paul said, that the comfort were, and all, God comforts us in the tribulations that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. In other words, you're going through this, and there's things that we go through. Sometimes they're elongated. Sometimes they're a short season. Sometimes they're different seasons. But you go through it for a reason. You know why? To learn in it that you're going to be able to say, Woody, I show you how God brings you through. Look for him in it. Look for God in it. Look for Jesus through all of it. And he says, you're going to turn around. You're going to be able to encourage them coming behind you. You say, look, listen, I've been there. Let me tell you how God brings you through these things. So the Lord says in John 16 and 33, let's turn to it again, please. These things have I spoken unto you that in me, that's very important, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So I notice Here's two places you can be. Jesus says, in me, outside of him, is the word. Simple as that. In me, the word. I'll do it again. He says that in me, you'll have peace. And then he says, in the world, you'll have tribulation. I think I'm going to go and just get the carry out and close the wet blinds and shut the door. Nobody will know. And I'll just drink myself in the oblivion for a few days. Sure, and I'll come out when it's all over. Listen, that's where the trouble is. That's where the trouble starts. So we're either in Christ in victory or we're out of him, not trusting in what he's done. The term here for peace is a, is a word, irene, and it means you'll have rest, Listen, and it gives the idea of, of, of a tranquil state of the soul. Now, it should be like that when we're saved. We know we're saved. And we will not be under the wrath of God anymore. And we will not stand in the judgment of God. And that tranquility of soul is it's like we sang earlier, it is, well, it is well with my soul. We know that because we're saved and trusting in Christ. So the Lord says there is that same irene is the word. A tranquility of the heart that you're saved. But then he speaks about the tranquility or the irene of walking in the peace. There's a lot of, I think all of us, including me, at times things come to us and we step out, as it were, of the peace of Christ. And we stop for a while and we roll up our sleeves and we're ready to swing all around us in the world of tribulation. Isn't that true? We have to remember to stay in him. In him. For that's the only place we'll have peace and tranquility of the soul. But in the same verse then he says, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Now the term here, good cheer, is the word for sale. And listen, it's mentioned three times in the New Testament. I'll give you these references and you can write them down and read them when you go home and look for them. It's mentioned three times, good cheer or for sale for the word for it. It's in Luke 8 and 48. And it's in Matthew 9 and 22. And both of those are, remember the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years? And the Lord, she touches the Lord and her issue stems and he says, woman, be of good cheer. Thy faith have made thee whole. 
And this is important for you to catch this point. He says, be of good cheer. It's your faith makes you whole. Okay? The third time it's mentioned is in Mark chapter 10 and verse 49. Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. He stops. And the people say to Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, be of good cheer. He calleth for thee. So here they're saying, be of good cheer because Jesus wants you. He stopped. He's heard your voice in the middle of all these voices, in the middle of the crowd. Then and it's, it, it's uh, that's good cheer. And then it's also mentioned as well of, pardon me, that's good comfort. Pardon me, those three are good comfort. Good cheer is five times. Good comfort is three times. Pardon me, I've written that wrong there. So he says the one be of good comfort. He says the blind Bartimaeus, be of good comfort. And you'll find the woman is in two references I gave you. Good cheer is five times. Notice Matthew 9 and verse 2. He says to the sick of the palsy. We have to read this because I've seen this and I went, wow, this is, this is amazing. I don't know many times I've read this, Lord, and you haven't shown me this before. Matthew 9, and let your eye run down. Tell you what, let's read verse verse 2. And behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, saith unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now notice, he's not healed. He's still in his tribulation. He's still in his anguish. He's still in his trouble. And the Lord says, be of good cheer. We, we would be saying, hold on a minute. I'm still in this. I still, I'm still the palsy. I'm still crippled and I can't walk. But you're forgiven of your sin. Why are you not rejoicing? Why are you not rejoicing? And then, of course, we know that they say, look, and behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, saith, Wherefore, think ye evil in your hearts. For whether it is easy to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And saith he, to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine, unto thine house. And he arose and departed unto his house. Now, there's a word here we're going to look at when we're finished. Remember, be of good comfort. He calls you, be of good comfort. Your faith will make you whole. And here it is, be of good cheer. And the man is still lying in the sickness. So something has to happen for him to stand on his feet. Jesus tells him it, and he has to stand up. But we think, well, he stands up because Jesus said it. No, listen. Let me show you something else. Matthew 14. Matthew 14 you can also read this in Mark chapter 6. That's one of the other references to it. Matthew 14 and verse 27. This is Jesus walking to the disciples in the midst of the Sea of Galilee in the storm. Verse 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, as I be not afraid. So here he is. They're in the midst of the storm. It's me. Storm's still raging. Don't be afraid, he says. But, but master, the storm, we're going to sink. He says, but I'm here. I haven't left you. Oh, brother, sister, think about this. The storm's still raging. The man's still paralyzed. Then Peter says to him, then Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And we know Peter then walks on the water. But the idea of this is here, Peter had to do something. There's one more. This is the fifth one. It's in Acts 23. Acts chapter 23. And I'm going to show you something. When I thought it and I was studying the Greek word, and I went, this is amazing. I hope I can put this over the way the Lord showed me it today because it just blessed me. Acts chapter 23. Paul is being tried by the high priests in Jerusalem. The Pharisees there, the Sadducees there. Verse 11. Acts 23, verse 11. And he says, On the night following, the Lord stood by me. Isn't that lovely? 
And the night following, the Lord stood by me, but you let me go through that, Lord. You let me go through that. And the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Now hold on a wee minute. You mean to say, what I've went through is nothing, you're going to send me to Rome? And you're saying, be of good cheer, Lord? How can that be? You see the word here for good cheer? It comes from a, a root word called far sauce. Far sauce. So the word good cheer is far sale, but the root word for far sauce, know what it means? It's not just to be happy. The way it reads, it means have confidence and take courage and do it. So the man who is on the bed of sick of the palsy, who said, I'm still in my sickness, know what the Lord says? Take courage. Have confidence in me and I get up and walk. And that man had to say, I'm going to do this in the name of the Lord. Peter had to get out of that boat in the storm and say, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to walk in this water in the name of the Lord. He had to have confidence in the one whom he was calling on, whom he was trusting in. And he had to get up and say, I'm going to do something with it. And I'm going to step out in your name. You know what happened as soon as he did? He walked on water and he walked on that which others sink in. Paul says, the Lord stayed with me. Lord, why did you even let me go through that? And the Lord says, look, have confidence in me. Take courage, Paul. You're going to go to Rome and do even worse than that. Paul spends that time in Rome. You know what happens? He writes so many epistles. He writes so many letters. He has so many visitors that come to see him that he evangelizes all over the place from a prison house in Rome. So I'm going to close with this. Overcome. Time's flown. Overcome. The Lord says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the word. The word overcome here is the word, it's the Greek word actually, nikaio. Nikaio. You know when you're into your sports gear and you have the tick sign on the trainers or whatever, Nike or Nike, this is where we get that from, Nike or Nike. It's from the Greek nikaio. So it comes from the Greek language, the ancient Greek. And really what it means is to subdue, to conquer, to get the victory, to prevail. And it means that you are the victorious one. It comes from Nike, the Greek god, really. It's the name that comes from that. The Greeks had it. And so to be an overcomer, you were the one in Christ who, remember, in me, not in the world, The Lord says, no, no, it's in me. You'll be victorious. You will overcome. You will walk in victory. He says, and you can do it in me. Brothers and sisters, you see, no matter what comes your way, it's in him. Here's a wee question as we run into a close here. The word world here is the word cosmos. It's not talking about the earth, the planet. It's talking about the world system. The bank, all the system of stuff, the banking system, the religious systems, the, the whole system of the world and the way things are. And the word here, or here's the question, pardon me, is how come we can believe we are victorious in Christ, prevailing in him, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, and we claim we have overcome the world and that we have overcome him that is the devil or satanos or diabolos by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. How come we can do that yet? We can't overcome ourselves. Can't overcome our fears, our anxieties. Here's another thing. We can't overcome unforgiveness at times in our own hearts. Hate and anger and malice and temper. 
Listen, if Christ is in you, you can overcome. We should be overcoming that which we hold dear, which God demands of us. For all of us, all of us have a threefold enemy the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the devil is defeated. Christ has overcome the world, and all that's left is you. Or the world, the flesh, and the devil. If the world got converted tomorrow, and if the devil dropped dead, you'd still have an enemy. It's yourself. The person you look at in the mirror every morning defeats you sometimes before you even get started. And Christ says, you're victorious to me. Now, here is what he says, that John says, that we overcome him, that is the devil, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of her testimony, but doesn't stop there, and they love not their lives unto the death. See, they love not their lives, it's ourselves. They overcome by the blood, by their testimony, ourselves. We need to overcome ourselves. You know the old saying, you're your own worst enemy? Guess what? It's 100% true. 100% true. So, the old Diabolus. You know, Paul talks about um, a family man wanted to be an elder. His wife is not to be a slanderer and all that sort of stuff. You know the word slander is? It's the word diabolos. And Paul's saying, see when you slander, you know what you're doing? You're not walking in victory in Christ, but rather you've stepped out and you've allowed the diabolos, the diabolical one, to use you diabolically to slander others. And that's the devil, he says. So let's walk in victory. Let's claim what Christ has done. And even whenever yourself tells you, you know what, you can't, you say, yes, I can't. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Jesus' name. So that's the overcoming, the overcomer in Christ. I think that's what I call it. There you are. So I got that today. And as I was reading that and just studying it, I got up and I said, Lord, because there's so many things going around my head. Lord, you're just amazing. And it's like he said to me, Son, I got this. Now you just walk in me. That's what you need to do. Just walk in him. And he'll do the rest. God bless us. We're to us.